All right. We want to talk about parental instruction and discipline now, all right? Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we want to talk about that instruction and discipline in this hour. Essential as it is to know where you want to take your children, we have a goal in mind. You also need to know how to get there. How do we get to independent, godly disciples who love and serve God, love and serve others, and can handle life by handling God's Word? How do we get there? God's Word does just that by laying down two tracks, two rails of the track, I should say, that lead to the goal or the destination of all our efforts. Two rails to the track. The first is discipline. The second rail is instruction. So imagine the goal. We have the goal out there. How do we get to that goal? How do we get to that destination of these independent godly disciples? How do we get there? The the rails take us there. The rails of discipline and instruction, both of which are necessary if you're going to get there. Um, I think that's key for us to see. Both are necessary. We live in a permissive culture, and so as Christians, we tend to react to our culture. And we tend to think, if only we discipline well, our kids will turn out all right. But the Bible says otherwise. It says we bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So both of those rails are necessary. You cannot neglect one or the other. Okay? So let's start, let's talk about that first rail now. Let's talk about the discipline of children. If you're going to discipline, you must possess the following convictions. You must be convinced of the following things if you're going to discipline your children in a biblical way. First of all, God commands you to use the rod. He commands you to use the rod. Um, Proverbs Proverbs 19.18 says, Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Proverbs 23.13-14 Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. (coughs) And then 29.15, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod will drive it from him. And so God commands you to use the rod, and you must use it whether or not the latest experts agree that it is necessary, most of which today say it is not. Sorry. You must use it whether you think it's necessary or not. Whether you think it's necessary or not is immaterial. God commands it. So you must use it because God commands it, and you actually believe that his ways are better than the ways that are promoted by fallen human wisdom. It imparts wisdom. And notice as well, it is not a last resort. It is not a last resort. Too many parents say, yes, I believe in using the rod, but then they say, okay, 
if you do that, if you continue to do that, we're gonna, you're gonna get a spanking or, you know, right? Now, here's your first warning. No. Don't use it as a last resort. It imparts wisdom. Now, if you're going to, if you're going to discipline, you have to be convinced that you are God's representative. Failure to obey dad and mom is a failure to obey God. And you need to communicate that. You need to communicate. When we would, and we would take our kids to the bathroom to spank them. We didn't want to humiliate them in front of other people. So we'd go in the bathroom and say, do you know why dad's here to spank you? Yeah, well, why are we here? Because you disobeyed. And you disobeyed not just mom, not just dad, but you disobeyed God. And God tells me that I need to do this. Right away, some people think, oh, no, that's going to make God the bad guy. No, you're teaching biblical truth. God tells me to do this. And if I don't do this, then I will be disobeying God. Okay? By that, you're communicating to them. You're God's representative. You're not God. You're not spanking them because they've irritated you. You're not spanking them because they've now made your life miserable and you're going to get your pound of flesh. No, you're doing it as God's representative to help. Discipline is an expression of faith. God has mandated the use of the rod, and you obey not because you perfectly understand how it works, but because God has commanded it. It is an expression of confidence in the wisdom of God and the excellency of his counsel as Paul Tripp says in his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. You use it because God commands it. He knows better than you what's necessary. You, this is an act of faith. And I'm, I'm not kidding you. This is an act of faith. Because there are times when you say, I'm not getting anywhere. It just doesn't seem to work. Well, you do what God tells you to do. You have to be convinced that you're acting lovingly when you set limits on your children. Don't do this because there are consequences. Do this and um, there also will be things that flow from that. Why? Because you have a goal and that is equipping children for life and life is made of limits. Life is made of limits. They've got to learn that that early. That life is made of limits. You know, We have to teach them that when you say you're going to work, you're going to work. You're going to do it when you say you're going to do it. Or there's consequences. Why? Because they're going to enter a world where they don't say, I don't feel like going to work today. That's not the way life works. You know, I see parents with so many children, and the children are just out of control because they don't have limits, and they're not being equipped for life. They're going to wonder why you don't pay me, even though I didn't show up for work. What? You owe me. No. Um, You're going to have to deal with police and judges and bosses and all kinds of things. You can't do what you want to do whenever you want to do it. Life is made of limits. So you're acting lovely when you set limits. There's the practical, practical, you have to be convinced that there's a practical value of being a goal-oriented parent. Why? Because discipline has a godly goal, a good and long life, according to Ephesians 6.4. 
all things being equal, if you obey mom and dad, you will have a better life and you will live longer. Now, of course, you know, it doesn't mean if you obey your parents, you'll never get in a car accident. Because it doesn't mean that. But everything being equal, life is going to be better for you if you obey your parents. And so I love what, um, not Paul Tripp, Ted Tripp says in his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, which, by the way, is probably one of the best books on raising children. Shepherding a Child's Heart. Write it down. Shepherding a Child's Heart and buy it. See, we don't have kids at home anymore. Buy it anyway. And then read it. But I love this from, from Ted Tripp, where he says the use of the rod is a rescue mission. It's a rescue mission. The rod helps the child from spiritual death because rebellion left unchallenged will lead to, uh, will, and challenged in the heart brings death. The rod exposes the heart. It helps you realize that you need a savior. And so, here you're, here is your child, and here is the circle of safety. And when they're disobedient, they're outside of the circle of safety. They're outside of there. Where, um, where if you honor and obey your parents, your life will go well and you will live long. And so the rod is to help them move into that circle of safety. It is a rescue mission. One of the passages I just read said, discipline him and rest and rescue his soul. Okay? And so the use of the rod is a rescue mission. So we have a godly goal. Rest, uh, a good and long life. Um, be convinced of that the practical value of being a goal-oriented parent because it prevents parental frustration. When your children are not where you want them to be, you say, I'm in it for the long haul. I'm still aiming for the goal. Right? It prevents frustration on your part. Um, I can't tell you how much that helps. Because you're saying to, I say this to parents, I said it, Beck and I talked about this, we're in it for the long haul. The long haul. It's going to take us 21 years, 18 to 21 years to get to that goal. And so we've got to, and so since we have a goal, it's going to prevent our frustration. Um, Discipline is an expression of love. Why don't you spank your child? Could it be that you don't want to upset him to, in your view, make him hate you? Who are you thinking about? At that moment, who are you thinking about? Discipline is an expression of love because you're not a willing party to his death. Make no mistake about it. If you don't discipline, um, you leave that wicked heart unchallenged. And it leads to their death. It's an expression of love because the cross proclaims God's infinite passion for justice. Our children, it reminds us that someday our children are going to get perfect justice. And consequently, because you love your children, you will discipline them so that they can know the gospel. How does that lead to the gospel? Because they understand that sin leads to consequences. Sin leads to consequences. Justice will not let sin go unpunished. 
And they need to learn that. And when they learn that, the ground is also being prepared for the gospel. And they will face perfect justice, or Jesus satisfies God's justice for them. If that's not the case, they will experience God's justice. The stakes are high here. The stakes are high. Cannot forget that. It's an expression of love because the cross reveals that God hates sin and it provokes his wrath. You want to see God's hatred of sin? Look what he did to his son because of sin. We can't be passive about their sin and claim that we love them. We discipline so that they know experientially God's hatred of sin. I believe it's Ted Tripp who has said, spanking is not child abuse, but failure to spank is child abuse. All right? Now, here again, I've mentioned this in the last lecture. When you have a goal, you know when to discipline. Whenever the attitude or actions of your child would keep them from attaining God's goal. When it's going to divert them from that goal, that's when you need to discipline. Do you get all over him because he put his shoes on the wrong feet? Do you get angry with him because he forgot to put away the wash rag because he dropped the phone, but then you let him get away with throwing a fit or sulking? See, when you don't have a goal in mind, you're going to be subject to that kind of of arbitrary use of discipline. Keeping God's goal in mind keeps you sort, helps you sort out times when you need to use the rod and when you do not. So the goal is not to quiet or smother the child, but to seek to change him for God's glory and for the mutual benefit of the child and others. Again, you don't discipline your child for obedience. Yes, they're disobeying, but why do you discipline? Just to get them compliant and to fall into line? Or are you seeing that that disobedience is keeping them from God's goal and so you must intervene in order for them to reach that goal? There's there's a world of difference between the two. If I only discipline because I want compliance, I'll get compliance for a while. All right? But I won't I won't have equipped him for life. So discipline, with all its rules and consequences, will not accomplish what only the gospel can accomplish. So let me let me really make that clear. I'm not now making an argument that you don't discipline. What I am saying is that discipline, with all its rules and consequences, which are necessary, don't expect it to accomplish what the gospel will accomplish. All right, so let me give you an illustration. Here's Henry, one of my grandsons. So we're at the Parker's house, Lydia and Lee. Lydia is my daughter, and Lee is her husband, and their firstborn is Henry. So we're visiting with them, and Henry crawls over to the outlet, and he's ready to play with the outlet. And his dad says, Henry, no, picks him up and sets him down with his back to the outlet. A minute later, there's Henry turning around, crawling back, and go into the outlet. And his dad says, Henry, no, don't touch that. And he sets him down. Third time, he goes, and Lee picks him up and spanks him, and then sets him down with his back to the outlet. A minute later, here's what Henry does. Now, the discipline did what it was supposed to do. 
It kept him from playing with the light socket. But his heart remained unchanged. Right? He wasn't going to go to the socket anymore. But he still wanted to. Please, you always must remember, discipline and rules and law will never change a human heart. After all, God's law never changed one human heart. Right? So remember, discipline is necessary. It restrains evil. It helps us learn some things. But it never changes a human heart. Okay? What are some of the common objections to the rod? Let's look at some common objections. And again, you hear these in counseling. All right? I love my children too much to spank them. Again, Ted Tripp writes this. Who benefits if you do not spank your child? Surely not the child. Who benefits? You do. You're delivered from the discomfort of spanking your child. You are delivered from the agony of inflicting pain on one who is precious to you. You are delivered from the inconvenience and loss of time which biblical discipline requires. According to Proverbs 13.24, hatred is what will keep me from spanking my child. Love will force me to it. Now again, that's the bottom line. Who am I thinking about? I don't want my children to think ill of me. And oftentimes... Again, because we're lazy, we don't want to deal with it. Right? It means I gotta get out of my chair. Right? It means I gotta go upstairs. It means I gotta investigate why I hear a blood curdling cry from the other room. Okay? Um, uh, it takes time, it's inconvenient. You know, I can remember Beck and I sitting downstairs and all of a sudden the light like these are hanging down in the living room and suddenly start swaying back and forth. Because the kids are upstairs jumping from bed to bed when they should be going to sleep, right? (sighs) You know, it doesn't do any good to go, Hey, what are you guys doing up there? You know what I said. Now get to bed! Right? You may have to go upstairs and do something, but we don't want to because that takes time and effort. I'm afraid it will make him rebellious and angry. Okay? Again, Proverbs 29. 17. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Discipline in and of itself does not produce a rebellious and angry person. Oh, this one is what you're going to hear the most. It doesn't work. Now, when someone says that, and I don't do this, but I want to say... Oh, I see. What you're saying to God is, God, I know you're omniscient and infinitely wise, knowing us inside and out and how we are made, but I think this is a bad idea. And some other people have come up with better ideas. No. No. Why doesn't it work? Oftentimes it's an inconsistent use of the rod. The child never knows what's going to get a spanking. Right? I... You know, one day he walks across the clean floor you've just mopped with his muddy shoes, and you're all over him. You're all over him, right? Um, But the next day he walks across the clean floor, but he's handing you a flower. Now suddenly it's okay, 
right? You're not irritated one day, but you're irritated the next about the something he does. He does one thing one day, and you're not tired. He does something the next day. You're just beat. You're irritated, and so you get after him. There's an inconsistent use of the rod. There's a failure to persist. A failure to persist. Many parents think this is going to change their child overnight, and so they give up. It's not working. Well, listen, you've got a long time here, right? Um, and you know what? Kids move from in, into different stages, don't they? The preschooler is not the same as the one who goes to kindergarten. It's not the same as the fourth grader. And so there's going to be new temptations. There's going to be new things that happen that, that they need to understand and and so you're going to have to you're in it for the long haul you've got to persist in it sometimes it's a failure to be effective does he know he's even been spanked okay does he even feel it by the way let me just say this in passing you know i know the things i'm saying right now are being recorded and probably someone may release that and i'm known as a child abuser for what i'm saying I'm just saying what God says. But here's the thing. God has given the human body a perfect place for spankings. And it's right here. It's not the face. It's not arms and legs. It's that nice round thing in the back. That And, you, and listen, you can raise welts. You can do all kinds of damage there too. But um, there is a sense in which the child needs to know he's spanked. But there's no way that it should be abusive. And we'll talk about that in a minute. You know why else it doesn't work when you discipline an uncontrolled anger? By the way, children know those sorts. They know when you're out of control. They know that. Okay? And James 1.19 says, The anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. Now, James is not saying never be angry. He's talking about anger that's out of control. And when you're out of control... Discipline is not going to work because the child knows you're not disciplining them because you love them. You're disciplining them because you're really angry because of something they did and you're just going to get your pound of flesh. They know that. So don't discipline in uncontrolled anger. Here's another reason why it doesn't work. You ready? Discipline is the only thing you do. You know, so many parents today think because of a permissive culture, the answer is discipline. No, that's not the answer. There are two rails to the destination. Discipline is only one of them. Okay? Discipline is only one of those rails. And so if the only thing you do is discipline, which, as we talked about last hour, which is expresses a house without grace, there will not be change. Okay? When discipline is the only means you use, it's not going to work. Now here's one that we hear a lot. I'm afraid it will make him an abuser. First thing I have to say is this. I have to choose whether I will believe God or the latest so-called scientific study. And by the way, those psychological studies, let's be honest and clear about it. It's not science. It doesn't meet the criteria of what science is. Okay? Um, There's no way it is. 
It's impossible. You you remember what the scientific method is? Observe, come up with a hypothesis, test the hypothesis with the same conditions, no, with no variables, all right, and you get the same result. You can't do that with human beings, right? So I'm going to go in to take the psychological test. I got two hours of sleep. Do you think that's going to affect the test? You got a variable there, all right? My wife just told me she doesn't love me and she's leaving me. There's a variable there. There's this personality is entirely different from that one. There's another variable. How can we possibly call these studies scientific? All right? And by the way, here's another variable. How do you spank? How do you spank? Do you think that may have something to do with it? Sure. So I have to choose whether I'm going to believe God or the latest scientific study. Now listen to me carefully. And this comes from years of counseling people. Abusers are formed not by the spankings, but by the whole philosophy of life that abusers model. Number one, their anger is out of control. I just heard what I said a minute ago. Children know when you're out of control. They see someone who says, whose entire life in the home is lived this way, do what I want, submit, or I will use force to get it. Right? They see someone who does not see that his greatest... um, um, He has to be a servant to his family. He sees someone who's got to be king of the hill. Right? That's what produces an abuser, not the spankings. It's the whole philosophy of life that abusers exhibit that form that child. Okay? I would also assert that more violence probably exists today because of the lack of the rod. There's more abuse and violence because of that. All right? Here's something else that we need to remember. Um, we must give expectations beforehand Um, as we think about um, as we think about what we have to be convinced of we have to give expectations beforehand keep the list small it's like God God in the Garden of Eden said don't eat of that tree right um, Sinai, Ten Commandments. Of course, there's all the case law that I that went with it, but if you obeyed the Ten Commandments, you wouldn't get stoned. <laughs> all right? It prevents frustration. For the parent, he doesn't respond. Why? Because you've given expectations beforehand. Um, if you don't do that, you're just saying he doesn't respond. The child is saying, I don't know what they want. So you give expectations beforehand. It also prevents excuses. When you give expectations beforehand, it prevents excuses. No one can say, I didn't, I didn't know. All right? When we make rules, make rules, um, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't get to that. You got all that? Okay. Um, 
make rules that are reasonable, definable, enforceable. Reasonable. Boy, read Matthew 23 where God pronounces a curse on the Pharisees. And he says, you have bound the people up with burdens they cannot bear and you don't lift a finger to help them. You are sons of hell. Wow. Be reasonable. Okay. You don't have a hundred rules and all that. Make sure that you are reasonable in them. Make, make them definable. Whoops. Make them definable. What do you mean by what you say? So, you know, boys, you got to pick up your room. And you walk up a few minutes later and they got all their toys on their bed. Okay, cleaning up your room means this. Okay? Make them enforceable. Now, I think this is one of the keys you got to understand, especially when you're counseling parents and they come in and they say, um, I told my kid, I told him, um, unless you get your grades up to a B, you can't use the car. How? That's not enforceable, right? What's enforceable is when you come home at night, you're going to be able to take a break, and then for the half hour before supper, you're going to study. Then when we're done with supper, you have another hour to finish your homework. That's enforceable. But saying you got to raise your grades is not. Right? Besides that, when you're looking at things like that, you know, God is, Jesus isn't going to say, show me your report card. He's going to say, were you diligent? I don't want to, again, here's my goal. An independent godly disciple does not mean head of the class. Right? What is an independent godly disciple? Someone who knows how to work. Someone who will be diligent. I'm after character, not grades. Okay, you get it? That's so important. You're going to see parents do this all the time. Maybe you've done it. You've got to get your grade up to a B. Well, that's not in the Bible. Okay? Make them enforceable. I'm going to give you some observations about discipline now. Some some quick observations. More immediate for the small child. Okay? More immediate. That is... Okay, so my wife grew up in Iowa, and one of the coolest things we could do is go to the farm. Okay, she grew up on a farm in southwest Iowa, and our kids loved the farm. All right, but it does no good to say to a four-year-old, if you... Um, are real good at picking up after yourself and stuff, you can go to the farm this summer. It's not going to work for a four-year-old, right? There has to be more immediate uh, discipline. Focus upon daily habit, a daily habit that needs changing. Okay? And your discipline, look at what's the habit? What's going to keep them from reaching that goal? What, what's the, what seems to be a habitual thing that they're doing? Deal with that. You know, list the strengths and weaknesses of each child. Um, okay? So Calvin was stubborn. Levi argues. Um, this is from the day they're born. Um, Yance. Yance would make you laugh. Annie was the drama queen. 
Lydia was the quiet, scared one, and Emma is the, if you've made me run the world, it would be much better. <laughs> okay? Um, so those are their weaknesses, right? What are their strengths? We knew their strengths. And so you work on their strengths and the weaknesses of each child. Lydia's afraid. Well, what do you need to do? Right? If her, if her fear is going to keep her from doing what she's supposed to do, then she needs to understand. You've got to do whether you're afraid or not. Okay? List goals that is positive character qualities. What do you want to happen with them? Find the appropriate discipline. All right, now, can I say something right now? This is truncated. I, you know, I had to make a choice between what I wanted to present. And I want to encourage you, because this is, this is basically, here are, here's what discipline is about. But I would encourage you, because I don't have another hour to give another lecture, but in Shepherding a Child's Heart, the title says the whole thing. And Ted Tripp makes the point of saying, you've got to discipline, but you also have to know your child's heart. Why is he doing what he's doing? And I want to say that I'm going to, and this is kind of lopsided, okay? Do these things in discipline. That's true. But I would encourage you to read Shepherding a Child's Heart because Ted really, really, really makes the case for knowing your children, entering their world. It's not good enough to just get a particular behavior. Why? Because all behavior springs from the heart. Okay? So before we go on, let me give you an illustration of that so that you know what I'm talking about. Uh, in terms of, let's say, character weakness, okay? So here's a guy who buys, um, they go out shopping with their, with their sixth grade son and they buy him some sneakers, cost him a hundred dollars and they come home and he's moping around and he's, doesn't like the sneakers and, and, uh, so right away, and this is typically how dads are, right away he says, what's wrong with you, you ungrateful wretch? You know, I'm not gonna buy five hundred dollar uh, sneakers for you. That's ridiculous. And besides that, you know what God says in 1 Thessalonians 5.16? He says, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. So you be thankful. Right? So what are we doing? We're only going after the behavior. Okay? But this is what Ted Tripp says. You gotta know the heart. What's behind the behavior? Mark four, uh, uh, Mark seven. Everything that shows up, right? It's not what comes from outside a man that defiles him, it comes from inside. Every sin, you gotta follow down to its root to a desire. There's something going on. And so if you take the time and say, son, I'm really, I'm, I'm a little disturbed that you don't like the sneakers we bought you. What's going on? And he says to you, because the kids who wear these kind of sneakers are dweebs at school. You know, they're, they're, they're the, the butt of everybody's jokes. Wow, you know what I just found out? Ingratitude's not the problem. It's fear of man, you see. So I want you to see that what I'm telling you is, is good, it's not enough. And if I had another hour, we'd go into that. But these are just some observations about discipline. And I hope you understand that you've got to know. 
your, your um, children's heart as well. In discipline, you need to follow through in love. What does that mean? It means avoiding discipline in uncontrolled anger. I've mentioned this now three times already. You cannot discipline in uncontrolled anger. For me, I would always say to myself, I'm going to limit this to three good swats. All right? Um, if that doesn't work, three more. In, in increments of three. Right? And of course, all our children make that fatal mistake. Right? And hopefully they only do it once. What is it? That didn't hurt. Well, okay. I guess we'll have to do this again. All right? So avoid discipline and uncontrolled anger. So it may mean things like, if you have a problem with anger, it may mean this. Son, you and I are going to have to deal with this, but I'm gonna, I need to be away for just a minute. You go away and you pray. You ask God for grace. And then come back. You don't want to discipline in uncontrolled anger. They know that. Avoid words and tones that attack the person rather than the problem. You haven't been taught the four rules of communication yet, have you? Okay, you're going to get it. Um, the four rules of communication, one of them is Ephesians 4.29, don't let any corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but only that which is helpful, and to give grace to the one uh, in need. Um, that verse is not saying don't tell dirty stories because the word corrupt means cutting. Don't use words that cut. In fact, it says don't just cut the person up. You've got to help them do what they're supposed to do even when you're angry. So avoid words and tones that attack the person rather than the problem. You'll learn this. It's the third rule of communication. Attack the problem, not the person. All right. So when I'm talking to my children, I don't want to attack them. I don't want to say, you know, you're nothing but a lazy good for nothing. Well, that, that's no good, right? I need to discipline, but I also say, so what are we going to do about this now? Here's what you can do so you don't end up here again, right? So avoid words and tones that attack the person. Give help where needed. Help them know. Don't just tell them that you're punishing them for doing what's wrong. You want to find out what's going on in their heart, and you want to help them now. How then... What's the solution to this? Okay, remember that you teach by actions. Okay, I'm counting one, two. What have you, you've, you're essentially teaching you can disobey until ten. You've got that much room to disobey. Um, you remember you teach by actions. Um, expect pressure. Um, again, you've heard me refer to Pastor Good, who is one of my mentors in biblical counseling, also one of the granddaddies of the biblical counseling movement. I remember him telling one time about he was helping some parents with their child, and this little girl had a heart problem. And she would say to her parents, you better not spank me because I may die and you'll be sorry. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so these parents were afraid. They didn't spank her. And Pastor Good said to them, this is what you need to say to her. Honey, if we don't spank you, you may live and everybody will be sorry. <laughs> all right? So, all right, now listen. Some of you are totally aghast at what I just said. 
but it does sum up what the problem is. And you can expect pressure from your children. Expect that pressure. Um, but be very careful. The pressure for me wasn't my kids saying so-and-so. The pressure for me is when Lydia, who's standing there with those big blue eyes of hers, and I'm looking at her eyes, and I can actually see the tears building up, and then the tears spilling over and running down her cheeks. It would just kill me. I don't want to spank this girl. I didn't have that problem with Emma, but... um, but there's all kinds of pressure that that comes to bear, and so you you can't you can't let them say, "Oh no, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. I'll be mad at you." Well, son, if you're mad at me after this is over, I'll have to deal with that problem too, right? Okay. Remember, this is key right here. Relationship is everything when it comes to discipline. Relationship is everything. So, you know, we're only doing a little bit here, cutting off a little bit off the top, but what you need to do is you've got to have a relationship with your children that runs deep. You've got to spend time with them. You've got to love them. You've got to show them affection. You've got to imitate God and how He loves us and love your children because because your discipline will be effective because they know you love them. Okay? You know you love them. They know you love... Relationship is everything. I learned this from my wife. I said, Tim, relationship is everything. Okay? All right. Instruction of children. We're told that we need to... When are we supposed to be done? Four? Or quarter to four? Oh, man. Okay. All right. Instruction of children... What we're talking about here now, and this is key, this is key, it's not that I'm teaching my children Calvin's Institute so that they can know what Calvin says or, or you know, prefer if you want to go John Frame systematic theology. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're t- I mean, partly talking about that. But what we're talking about here is building godly inner convictions. All right? Building godly inner convictions. Do you know what the word instruction is? It's the word nuthetao. Have you heard that word in your lectures here? Nuthetao is the New Testament word that's most comes closest to what we mean by counseling. Right? It's correction by word of mouth. That's the word that's used here. So I'm not just teaching them theology. What I'm trying to do is to build inner convictions in them. I want them to believe what God has said. All right? So if you're going to do that, you have to have the following convictions. Number one, realize that both parent and child are responsible to God. You're both responsible. You're responsible to teach. They're responsible to learn. And by the way, discipline sometimes gets the ground ready so they're ready to learn. Understand that the child has a sinful nature and therefore has to be taught how to do what's right. Not only that, they have to be taught that they're depraved sinners who need a new heart. That stand under the condemnation of God unless they repent and believe. Now again, you don't just dump that whole truck on them, you just you keep working that as they grow. Recognize this is key. Recognize that God's way is always the best. You've got to be convinced that God's way is the best. Too many parents are like this, no, we can't do that. Doggone it, all those unbelievers get to get drunk and they have fun, but we can't. Right? 
and you don't say it that way, but we, we tend to communicate to them, well, this is what God says. I know you don't like it, but no, this is the best way. God's got the way to happiness. All right, remember that we're teaching them with a goal in mind, not just trying to get the child to obey. So when my children, every one of them, which stole some, stole something from the store in LaRue, right? And Sharon, who's a member of our church, was always the, the cashier. It was take them back. They got to return it. They got to look Sharon in the face, ask, repent of their sin, right? Now, why do we do that? Not just so that they'll never steal again, but that's going to teach them a number of things, right? Don't steal. Repentance, forgiveness are all part of it. And you've got to learn those things in the Christian life. It's a primary means of God's grace. First Peter chapter 2 verse 22 says, How are we born again? By the Word of God. No one has ever been regenerated without the Word of God being involved. Right? And so why do I want to teach? I want to teach them because this is a primary means of God's grace reaching out and giving them a new heart. Right? It's not that I convince them to be saved. It's that I minister the Word of God and I tell them what God says. And by that Word they are converted. It builds into your children inner convictions. That's what you need to be convinced of. I want to build inner convictions. Without teaching, without teaching, your discipline becomes cold and manipulative. So when you're dealing with parents who say, we discipline regularly, do you teach? Well, no. Well, no wonder you're not getting anywhere. You know, to your children, um, you're just trying to get what you want. Rather than teaching them, you want inner convictions. You can be a disciplinarian now, but without inner convictions, what will the children do when they're no longer under your control? Right? So, what's my goal? Godly, independent disciples who love and serve God, love and serve others, can handle life by handling God's Word. How do I get them there? I'm instructing them because I want them to have inner convictions. If I don't do that, then all I'm communicating then is do this because I say so. And when they leave home, independent, they're saying, well, that's what Dad wanted, but I don't want it anymore. No, I want to teach, I want to build inner convictions into them so that they believe this is what God says, so this is what I must do. This is what God says about this situation. This is how I handle it. In fact, I'm convinced, I want them to be convinced of the sufficiency of the Word of God so that that's where they go. So when they leave home, they have this conviction, the Bible has the answers for us. Okay? Okay, what kind of content for teaching is there? Okay, we can run through this, and I'm just scratching the surface. The gospel. The gospel has to be woven into every part of your life. Okay? Um, when your kids fight, you know, they're cleaning each other's clock, and you get them separated, and you say, what in the world's going on? And Calvin says, well... He said this to me, and I'm not going to take that. And Levi says, well, listen, he swung first. I had to go after him. All right? So what am I going to do now? First, I'm going to find out what's going on in their hearts. What makes you, what were you thinking when you hit your brother? And um, and I'm going to tell him, your heart and your actions are sinful. And God hates it. But you know what? Jesus came to save us from our sin. And, you know, you're going to, feel this way about your brother unless God gives you a new heart. 
You need a new heart. Maybe that's all I say. You weave the gospel through everything, right? Why do your friends do what they do at school? Why are there bullies at school? Well, because we're all sinners. That's right. You'd be a bully too. If God hadn't providentially put you where he did. But you know, you need a savior too. So, um, the gospel, attentiveness, obedience, honor, doctrine. Teach your kids doctrine. That forms the worldview by which they understand reality. Without doctrine, they'll be lost in the woods. How to grow in Christ. Do they know? Do your children know about progressive sanctification? Have you taught them to put off, put on? Right? Um, biblical values. Um, oh, you know, the four B's that are real important in high school. Beauty, belongings, brains. Beauty. Oh, I knew I was going to forget this. Beauty, belongings, brain, brawn. Thank you. Brawn, the four biggies. If you're smart, you're at the... All right? Jeremiah says, Let him who boasts boast in this, that he knows me. That he knows the Lord. What values are you promoting in your home? What values do you need to be teaching them? What success in God's eyes? Success is faithfulness. Not getting to the top. The purpose of limits. You want to teach them why. You want to equip them. Problem solving God's way. This is very important. Our children, you're going to learn them. Our children know the four communication, four rules of communication. Be honest, keep current, attack the problem, not the person, act, don't react. They know that. Why? Because that's how we solve problems. They know, they know that when they sin, they have to repent and ask forgiveness. Okay, they know that. Um, this last year, my kids, all adult now, and five of my six kids live around all within a 15-mile radius. So they get on this campaign to save us from COVID, which is certainly going to kill their parents. <laughs> all right, I'm not kidding you, man. They were Nazis. And we went along with it because we don't want to be the poster children for the grumpy parents who don't want to do what their kids say. So, okay, we isolated ourselves and they were convinced, no, we can't go to mom and dad's and all this kind of stuff. Well, one day some of the kids came over and we thought it was okay. And then Levi and his family just stopped by just to say something, knowing that no one should be there. He saw them there. That caused problems. These ones are saying, oh man, I think Levi's mad. And the other thing, I'm saying, I don't know. He said he was okay. Yeah, he said he was okay, but I don't think so. Which then started this whole flurry of phone calls about about Levi, you know what? We did violate the agreement. Will you forgive us for doing that? And please forgive me for being angry. There was this whole flurry of things. We cannot let division among us because we're believers and believers cannot be breaking fellowship with one another. And so, man, they worked hard at putting that all together. That's the sort of thing you want your children to do. They need to solve problems God's way. You want to teach them love and service to others. You want to teach them how to be good workers. Wow! Just on a human level, you get good workers, you got a job today. Man, can you believe... Do you have Wendy's down here? Wendy's! In our area, they're paying people 
$300 just to join the team. What? This is bizarre. But if you're a good worker, you're going to have a job anymore. You know, you just have to be a good worker and you're going to stand out. But that's not why you're a good worker. You do it because God is glorified by that. How to respond to trials. you got to teach them how to respond to trials. When, when their dog is run over, how do they respond? Right? What are you going to do? Say, well, that's the way life is. No. No. You go to the book of Job and you say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I mean, yeah, don't wait for, for grandma to die to teach them that. Teach them that when their cat dies. Okay? No, I'm serious. You need to do that. Right? Those are the times. I, you know, I could start crying thinking about the time that Lydia's little dog was killed. And oh my goodness, I can't even tell you that story. Um, how to respond to trials. How, what are you going to tell them when they don't make the baseball team? Right? What are you going to tell them when the, the kids at school make fun of them? Right? Those, that's when you need to teach them how to respond to trials. Teach them contentment. Oh my goodness, that's a biggie. To return good for evil. Son, if he starts a fight, you finish it. That's not... No, that doesn't take any supernatural power. You need to teach them to return good for evil. To live by faith and not by feelings. Right? How to make disciples. How to be good spouses. These are the things we want to teach. Now, I've just, kind of, again, just slipped, uh, cut a little bit off the top. There's tons more you can teach. But at least you've got to have in your head, there's things I need to be teaching. Question, how do I teach? How do I teach? Question and answer is one. Like in Joshua, they cross the Jordan and they pile up these rocks. Why? So that someday when they're walking by that and your children ask, why is that there? You can tell them why it's there. Question and answer. I remember my boys asking me one night, why are sharks so mean? Right? You have an answer for that? No, I don't think so. It's because of the curse of sin. There was no dog-eat-dog stuff going on then. From normal life situations. Can I tell you right now, this is where we did most of our teaching. In normal life situations. Sitting at the table for dinner, bedtime, playtime, questions they might have, school problems, whatever. You teach in those situations. Though That is key. You want your kids to learn theology, teach them theology in the midst of living life, and they won't forget it. They won't forget it. Every night at our home, we would sit at the supper table, and it was like a sacred time for us. This, this Nothing interferes with dinner time at night. And I'll tell you what, we talked about everything. What happened in school today? What did they teach you? Well, you know what God says. Um, what's happening? This is happening at school. Well, how'd you handle it? This is how you handle it. Uh, I mean, to the point where by the time our kids were teenagers, we're talking about things like, you know, what are you trying to accomplish with your music? What would God say about that? Here are some lyrics to some music that you like. What? Let's talk about what are those lyrics saying? Is it showing despair? I mean, you, you, you spend those times in normal life situations and, and that's where they really learn. Okay? That's where they really, really learn. You teach by example. Do you ever wonder what Paul was driving at, like in Philippians 4-9, when he says, what you've seen in me, you do. 
You, you probably think, well, that's some kind of an arrogant thing to say. Actually, it's not. What is discipleship? You know what discipleship is? It's the biblical way of learning. Discipleship is show and tell. Let me say that again. Discipleship is show and tell. I make disciples not just by stuffing their heads with facts. That's a pagan way of learning which we have adopted. Instead, we show and tell. And I can say, what Paul is saying is, here's the commandment of God, here's what it looks like with bones and flesh and brains on it. Here's what God says, this is what it looks like in everyday life. So you ought to be able to show your children by example. How do you handle mistakes and failures biblically? Do you seek forgiveness or do you make excuses? In trials, do they see endurance and joy or giving up and grumbling? Okay, so you can teach about, you can teach about trials and then you can say, do you remember when that happened last month? Remember what I did? That's what it looks like. You know what? I, um, I learned to love a woman by watching my dad. Right? Show and tell. I heard the sermons on how you love your wife, but then I saw it. What does that look like in our situation with a, a, a wife who's struggling with arthritis and it has been sick for a while? How do you love a woman in that situation? So you see, you, you take it from the general to the particular. That's what it means. You can see, you ought to be able to say to your kids, this is what God says, this is what it looks like. Okay? There's also formal teaching. There's formal teaching. Family worship. Sermon notes. Right? Have your kids take sermon notes and talk about it. Catechism. Catechism is great. Hey, if you want a great catechism, the New City Catechism. It's a great one. Okay? Um, books. Um, as you see needs and weaknesses of each child, start teaching in those areas. Okay, so the bottom line is this. Here's the bottom line. Ready? Lay the rails in order to reach the goal of children equipped to live life in a fallen world. What are those two rails that get us to the destination? Discipline? That's right. You need both. Not one or the other, but both. All right. Well, God bless you as you continue. you got one more hour, and then you got one more weekend. So I pray that God uses this in your life to help you and to help others. All right?